Welcome to another edition of Alternative News. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on the AM dial, streaming live on 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. I'm Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. Today on Alternative News, we will present a special program on the occasion of International Women's Day. A big thank you to 3CR for giving us an extra 15 minutes to present our program from 9am. International Women's Day traces its origins to March 8, 1857, when textile workers on New York's east side demonstrated for their rights. On an international level, it was launched in 1910 at the Second International Socialist Women's Conference in Copenhagen and first celebrated in 1911 by millions of workers around the world. The first wave of feminists from the late 1800s who were attracted to peace issues gained valuable experience from their struggle to counter the oppression of women, including demanding the right to vote. An anti-war position seemed a natural extension of their campaigns for social justice. While their numerical participation was considerable, leadership roles were overwhelmingly in the hands of men, mainly representatives from the working class, academics and clergymen. Notable exceptions were Rose Scott and Marion Harwood as backbones of the Sydney Peace Society. A more enduring peace group formed in Melbourne in 1905 to protest against war in general was the Melbourne Peace Society. Most members were pacifists and similar groups soon appeared in Sydney, Adelaide and Hobart. Rose founded the Sydney Peace Society in 1907 and her work with it enabled her to introduce pacifists' views to the National Council of Women, an umbrella organisation covering delegates from most women's groups, and also connected her with peace-minded women overseas. Marianne Harwood, also a feminist pacifist, assisted Rose in the formation of the Sydney Peace Society and was appointed a vice president in 1909. She remained a committed worker for peace well into her late years and was regarded by fellow peace activist Eleanor Moore as a great pioneer pacifist. A woman-only group would provide a supportive environment for women to operate away from the dominating influence of men. The 2020 Global IWD theme is Generation Equality. Generation equality is a call to action to join forces across generations to create a world where women have equal opportunities to fulfill their full potential. Equal access to education and income are still a major problem for women around the world. Half a billion of the world's illiterate adults are women. This trend has not changed in 20 years. What defines a generation? Is it just about the year you were born? Or is there something more? 
We may have lived through different decades, different circumstances, different countries, but we all share in the global everyday push for our rights, for justice, for a world that is equal. Perhaps what defines our generation isn't our age or our background, but the line in the sand that we have drawn. We take to the streets to speak out against discrimination and we work tirelessly behind the scenes. We stand up for peace. We are fed up with the war and economic justice. We start with a statement and watch it become a movement. We have come a long way, but the fight isn't over and our rights are still under assault. It is time to take action. Let us be the wake-up call the world needs. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. Be the first, the youngest, the best, and then make sure no one is left behind. When someone tries to silence you, raise up your voice. Let us wage a global struggle. Change everything or change just one thing. As long as you do something, whether you're new to changing the world or have been in the fight for a long time. Each knows exactly why we are here. We are all together, united for gender equality. And the future we create for women and girls is up to all of us. In today's program, you will hear from two leading activists, Margaret Williamson and Elizabeth Holm. Margaret is a unionist, a political activist, member of the Melbourne Unitarian Church and its Social Justice Committee member, a member of Australia and Cuba Friendship Society, an environmentalist, peace activist and a CICD committee member. Margaret will be speaking on her personal experience being involved in all the above. We thank Margaret for coming on Alternative News for this 2020 IWD. Here is Margaret. I started work at the age of 16 in 1964 as a junior female clerical assistant with the Victorian Railways. As such, along with clerical duties, I was to also make the morning and afternoon teas for an office of 20 staff, six females and the rest mostly young males. This included the boy who started the same day as I and gave me the most trouble about the quality of his tea until the day I turned his tea green, having added some cleaning liquid. Thankfully for many women, conditions changed, even if from the perspective of a coffee machine being cheaper to run than a young female member of staff. I became a member of a union at that time and have remained so till now. Within the next few years, two events occurred which left lasting impressions. The first was Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War and the other, the campaign for equal pay for women. After a try at nursing and a couple of years as a bank clerk, I found myself in my first union job. How lucky was I working with the late Bill Richardson, a great person, who taught me office procedures and included me in everything AXPA, the Australian Council of Salaried and Professional Associations, did. This was known then as the White Collar Workers Union's Peak Council. 
Bill went on to help set up the Working Women's Centre at the ACTU. We worked on such interesting issues, Aboriginal rights, women's rights, peace, wage justice, automation, childcare. How lucky for a young woman to be exposed to the politics associated with these issues. The Vietnam War and equal pay politicised me. I came to understand the impact of US imperialism on the workers of the world and on my community as young men my age were drafted, conscripted into the army and into a war in a foreign country. I was fortunate to meet up with minded others and into the streets we went. So sometimes I was at anti-war rallies and sometimes I was out helping leafleting the city streets and stations about equal pay for women. It's a little thing, but having put my heart and soul into leafleting, I was horrified to see so many thrown down on footpaths and gutters where women clearly had a lot of work to do. For many years, I lived in country Victoria, raising three kids, first one and then twins born undiagnosed when the little boy was just two. Pretty busy just looking after them for a while. But as it was, there were no jobs to be had, no child minding, no such thing as before and after school care. I became very involved in the community, including trying to have a children's daycare centre and a second kindergarten for the town. Then a small group of us took on Alcoa to try and stop the giant aluminium company taking over the town of Portland. We weren't successful, but we found that each time we took on a struggle, we learnt skills to use the next time. When I left the town, I had been on 14 committees, some to do with the Labor Party, but mostly community organisations. I went back to work for the union movement as first female secretary of a provincial trades and labour council. We worked on such interesting issues as Aboriginal rights, women's rights, peace, wage justice, automation, childcare. How lucky for a young woman to be exposed to the politics associated with these issues. I went back to work for the union movement as the first female secretary of the Provincial Trades and Labour Council at Bendigo Trades Hall Council followed by a few years as an organiser with the Liquor Trades Union, then a few years on six monthly contracts in the public service, each six months going cap in hand to ask for my job. As I was the union rep for the department, this was challenging. Then I fled back to the unions, working for the now Communication Workers Union in OH&S, Workers' Comp, and advocacy in unfair dismissals and EEO, etc., I was nicknamed the officer for the sad and the bad. No reflection on our members. Then back to my own union, the CPSUSPSS, working in OH&S. I always felt privileged to be let into the lives of workers in a position to help make conditions better, both at work and in their family lives. The workplaces became increasingly hostile through the Kings and Howard years. I recall harsh attitudes to young women with young families, responsibilities with those who had elderly relatives to look after as well. While workplaces and government were paying lip service to family life balance, the reality was quite different. I recall one young woman having promotion denied because she had to leave work on time to look after the kids. 
she was told she was not a team player. I don't believe any of that has got any better for the majority, particularly migrant workers and those women in low-paying casual jobs. As a person now retired from the paid workforce, I'm involved in environmental issues such as the fight against fracking and now drilling for conventional onshore gas. I work for peace and social justice. I see the fight against imperialism and its impact on all those issues as as critical now as it ever has been. Also, with the impact on climate issues, I feel strongly about its effect on the beloved descendants I will leave behind. For me, a woman's place is definitely in the struggle, ever vigilant, passing on our knowledge and our experiences to our children, grandchildren, and to those who will take over the struggle for a better world after we have left it. Thank you to Alternative News and to Ramina Bitesen for inviting me to speak to you all today. And happy International Women's Day. Thank you. Bye-bye, Ramina. See you. You're listening to International Women's Day special programming on 3CR. 24 hours of women's voices. This music is... Bread for All and Roses Too, a political slogan attributed to a speech by Rose Schneiderman, which inspired a poem by James Oppenheim, published in 1911. It was set to music by various composers, having been rediscovered after World War II. This version that you will hear is based on the melody written by Margarita Mimi Baez Farina in That a sudden sun discloses For the people here are singing Bread and roses, bread and roses As we go marching, marching We battle to four men For they are women's children And we
Now we will listen to Elizabeth Holm. Elizabeth is a researcher, secretary of Australia-Cuba Friendship Society in Western Australia, trade union delegate, a committee member of Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, IPAN, NWA, and a member of CPA. Elizabeth will be speaking on what's been achieved and what women are still facing, such as wage parity, casual work, insecure jobs, penalty pay, violence against women, safe housing for women to escape the domestic violence. Elizabeth also will speak about women in Cuba. Thank you, Elizabeth, for coming on our show. Here is Elizabeth. Thanks, Romina, for inviting me onto your show on International Women's Day for 2020. Since the invitation, I've thought about what has been achieved since the first IWD in 1911 that was moved by Clara Setkin. I'd like to start with a quote from her that I think captures what IWD is about, as it's often overshadowed as a celebration of the one woman who made it rather than the organisation of the struggle of working class women as was intended. The working women who aspire to social equality expect nothing for their emancipation from the bourgeois women's movement which allegedly fights for the rights of women. That edifice is built on sand and has no real basis. Working women are absolutely convinced that the question of the emancipation of women is not an isolated question, which exists in itself, but part of the great social question. They realise perfectly clear that this question can never be solved in contemporary society, but only after a complete social transformation. It was Clara Setkin in one of her speeches. Unfortunately, as I've looked back over the last 109 years, any achievements seem very fragile, as the last few decades have seen working women under attack, with rights being eroded, driving more and more women into poverty, homelessness, and putting them at risk of violent partners. It's a sad indictment that mature-age women are the largest growing cohort of people becoming homeless. The attacks we are seeing are against all workers, but the impact on women is often greater. On paper, women might have equal pay, but that's far from reality. In the occupations where women are concentrated, wages are lower for work for skills of equal value. Women are more likely to have insecure work and often in casualised job, and this is just getting worse for both men and women and particularly for young people. The cuts to penalty rates also hit women hard. All sorts of things influence the gender pay disparity, from the often lower entry point into the workforce, slower progression once in the workforce, and this is often conveniently blamed on childbirth and child rearing. Yet many women are now making a choice not to have children so that they don't lose their careers. And I don't think that is ever really a choice that most men have to contemplate. As a delegate in my workplace, one of the representations I'm most called on to make for members is appeals in promotions cases. There was one year when I did the stats over the previous 10 years for one group of workers. It was about 60 workers in the group. And the success rate for promotion was around 90% for men on their first attempt. And for women, the success rate was under 10%, with most women either having to apply for a second year or to fight it on appeal. I usually encourage women to appeal because I've found that women generally don't go for promotions unless they are sure they've done everything to warrant one, whereas men seem to get promoted for just doing their job. And that's been a real eye-opener for me. I've also been thinking about what's been achieved by women in Cuba in 61 years, and it's impressive. 
I mean, historically, no capitalist state has ever achieved equality for women, and not even the most progressive states. And inequality is actually built into the capitalist system at all levels. Women in Cuba have equal constitutional rights as men in economic, political, cultural and social fields. And like at 2015, women held 48.9% of the parliamentary seats in the Cuban National Assembly. And I'm not sure what the current statistic is, but I'm pretty sure they will have maintained or improved those stats. You see a similar breakdown in most areas of Cuban life, including what you would view as non-traditional occupations such as construction. Women in Cuba are currently fighting for equality in the home, the division of domestic labour. But we here in Australia, we're in a workforce that's highly segregated, with women largely concentrated in low or low-paid jobs. Women's work, which includes some highly skilled professions, We talk about much touted glass ceiling, but we could talk about the sticky floor. Or even worse, the majority of working class, single parent and Indigenous women are just worried about crashing through the rotting boards of capitalist exploitation. Sexism, racism and xenophobia are all tools of the capitalist to create divisions in the working class and weaken unity. I think the best thing we can do in 2020 Australia is become active in the struggles of the working class for the better world we know is possible because of examples like Cuba. Finally, we must also be active in the rejection of domestic and family violence. We cannot and should not accept government funding cuts to women's refuges, legal services, mental health services, safe housing and other important programs to assist women and their families attempting to escape the terror of domestic violence. We must join our trade unions and push for paid domestic violence leave and to fully fund services for women including free childcare, including after school, long daycare facilities. We need to struggle for secure work and we're needed to end social security payments based on relationship status so that women can get access to an independent income because that's what will protect them most. The payment of parental leave for at least 26 weeks and the immediate introduction of equal pay for work of equal value and part-time or full-time employment on a permanent basis with full rights to entitlements such as sick and other personal leave, annual leave and long service leave. I think all of these things would make a difference and I would just urge and call on all women to join together and struggle to make a better world a reality for all women and in particular for working women. Thanks, Romina. I would like to briefly speak about some inspiring Indigenous women and to remember them today. Just a warning to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening to this program as names of deceased persons will be mentioned and this may cause distress to members of these communities. Trujanini was born in 1812 and died in 1876. She was a defiant, strong and brave individual. She is a symbol of the survival of the Tasmanian Aboriginals and her life shows the story of European invasion. As a young girl, she was taught her culture, but when Aboriginal life was disrupted by European invasion, this changed her forever. Despite witnessing the most horrific crimes against humanity, Trijanini believed 
the only way to fight against white invaders was to learn their ways in order to gain empathy. Gladys Elphick, born in 1904, died in 1988. A descendant of the Kuna and Najarini people, Gladys was known to the community simply as Auntie Gladys. She was a woman's rights advocate in South Australia who began active committee work with the South Australian Aborigines Advancement League in 1960s. In 1964, Gladys became the founding president of the South Australian Council of Aboriginal Women, which actively campaigned for the 1967 referendum. Gladys was also involved in setting up the Aboriginal Community Centre and the College of Aboriginal Education in Adelaide. Essie Coffey, born in 1924, died in 1998. Essie campaigned to improve the rights and equality of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. She co-founded the Western Aboriginal Legal Service and the Brewerina Aboriginal Heritage and Cultural Museum. Essie served in government bodies and community organisations, including the New South Wales Advisory Council and the New South Wales Aboriginal Lands Trust. Essie was a founding member of the Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation and received a medal of the Order of Australia in 1985. She was a loving mother of 18 children, 8 biological and 10 adopted.
Thank you for listening and happy International Women's Day. That's all we have time for today. Tune in again next week for another edition of Alternative News brought to you from 3CR Community Radio 855 on the AM dial, streaming live on 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. I'm Romina Betson from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament. Our telephone number at Trades Hall is 0414-352-542 and our email address is peacecentre at cicd.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.